0: Uh, such an amazing delight to be able to be together with you here in person and to also have you joining us uh, online for those of you who are joining us that way. Um, we're, we're super, super stoked that you're able to join us in whatever way you can. We do want to let you know if you're joining us online. There is a way that we recommend. It's through our online platform, and you can find that at www.onelifeseattle.org. Um, slash live, and it's just a great way. We have all kinds of extras there for you. There's a Bible tab. There's our online connection card, access to our prayer team, and all kinds of good stuff, so uh, but at the end of the day, we are just happy uh, that you're able to join us in whatever way you can, so uh, with all that, let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. Um, I do pray that Today we would, um, Lord, that we would enter in uh, to this time and this space uh, just aware of um, who we are, how we're feeling, what we're thinking, being our whole person uh, together uh, and and with you. yeah, I just pray there would be a, an openness that can come from that kind of uh, space and, and and place. And so, um, yeah, help us to be open to your movement, Spirit. We well, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week five of a sermon series called The Living Hope, where we've been exploring this ancient letter uh, that was written by a follower of Jesus named Peter. and And... We called this series The Living Hope for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because uh, we believe that Jesus is alive. Uh, He did die at one point and was dead for three days, but then rose from the dead, uh, which uh, provided then a pathway for all humanity to be back in a right relationship with God. And so we put our hope in this because of him and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And that... We get to be restored, and, and it, not only do we get to be restored, but we also get to participate with God in his work of reconciling and restoring all things, all of creation, to himself back into that right relationship. And so it's, it's a living, active thing, but our hope is also in a living, active person uh, in, in Jesus. And so that's kind of the behind that. A couple of other things I want to help us know before we get into this that I think are helpful. Um, and we kind of go through them each week, but I think it's just helpful to do that. Um, first, uh, I mentioned this was written by a guy named Peter. Peter is one of the disciples, he's a friend of Jesus. Uh, he was uh, known maybe as someone who kind of jumps into things without always looking where he's going to land. Um, he gets a lot of what I call airtime in the Gospels, meaning there's a lot of, uh, of time given to him and his voice and his actions uh, as we explore the stories of Jesus. Um, but he is uh, known, again, for, for being kind of up and down. Uh, he has moments where he, he's always wholeheartedly into something, and sometimes it's wholeheartedly just a little off, and sometimes it's wholeheartedly and exactly right on, um, and it's, it's very interesting to watch his life as we read through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, and certainly in these uh, letters that he's written, to see his personality, to see as he grows, um, that I think it's actually some of that intensity that allows God to move in him the way that he does in some unique ways. And so I want to make sure as we acknowledge this about Peter, we're not uh, thinking of it as uh, something that's negative or something that's holding him back, but I think... Um, that he, he jumps in like that, allows God to move in some specific ways with him. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that, to, to know who Peter is. A couple of other things. This letter is uh, written to a specific area, and it's what uh, we would now identify as modern-day Turkey. Uh, so you got a big map here, and that little dot over there is going to be Turkey, so we need to zoom in a little bit. Uh, we're getting closer. It's kind of just off-center, uh, and now you can see that's the area we're talking about, um, and uh, there's five um, places that are identified uh, in here. These five areas: it's Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia um, are the five areas within that region that Paul is writing to. And sometimes when I put these maps up, and even when I look at them, I realize that's great. I have a circle on not a circle, but not an outline. But that doesn't really. It's just a blob on a on a picture I don't even know but if we do this so now we can see that's around Washington State down into Portland and goes over into Montana so we go through Idaho and over to Montana and that's so that gives us a little more of an idea of the the size of the space we're looking at approximately about 129,000 uh, square miles that this letter was being sent to and passed around to, to all the churches that were, were in that area the other thing I want you to know is um, that this was an area of increasing persecution. Uh, it probably started locally about the time or a little bit before this letter was written, which is in 64, 66 AD, that the the Christians there would have been experiencing some persecution that wasn't necessarily initiated by the Roman Empire, would have been maybe part of that culture, but it was certainly in the local uh, areas that they're in. And then later on, uh, under Roman Emperor uh, Trajan uh, in 111 and 112 BC, there was a much larger sort of... Empire wide initiated from that uh, that seat of government to to uh, deal with the problem that they saw of Christians. Um, the thing I want you to know too with that these local areas, um, this scholar Karen Jobs she describes it really well because there's uh, in. In all the New Testament stuff we look at, there's uh, sometimes there are Christians who are previously Jewish and sometimes there are Christians who are not and they're referred to as Gentiles. Um, but... This, is, this letter is written to kind of a mix, maybe a little more on the Gentile side, but, but definitely a mix. And, and if we zoom back a little further, it's even more diverse than that. And this quote from Karen Jobes, it says, the picture that emerges of the regions to which Peter wrote is one of a vast geographical area with small cities few and far between of a diversified population of indigenous peoples, Greek settlers, and Roman colonists. The residents practiced many religions, spoke several languages, and were assimilated into the Greco-Roman culture to varying degrees. And so really what this is saying is that it's just a huge mix, right? People who practice their own religions and somewhat in the Greco-Roman culture, and, and it's all over different levels, there's different languages, and so it's a really interesting place. And I think that this background information that I wanted to give us is super important to remember because we have to know that this letter was written to a specific people in a specific time for specific reasons. And the only way that I think we can actually discover what it means to us is to know what it originally meant to that first audience, and so it's critical that we go back and understand what that was. And so now that we have all that, we're gonna jump in uh, to first Peter 4. We're going to read through the whole chapter. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open up 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, it'll also be on the screen here or on your screen at home. Um, and if you're in our online platform, you also have access to our, um, our Bible tab. So here we go. 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves as with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time has already passed, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued, of course, a sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drunken parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins." Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards in the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief, or evil doer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is, without, if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I do want to say um, I'm, I'm, I was uh, attempting to use an updated version of the New American Standard Bible, uh, and it appears I got the wrong one. And so there were some spots in there where uh, the gender, where it said men, where it should, should have read all people or humans and... Uh, for just for sake of reading, I didn't adjust it on the fly, so I apologize for that. Um, I, I should have been more on top of that, but uh, just know that, that, that I'm aware of that. Um, so we start with a section. Peter's picking up from the previous chapters on the topic of suffering, and why do Christians suffer, and what are we supposed to do with that? And Peter really wants to emphasize two points in this section, and the first one is that uh, suffering because you are a Christian should not be a surprise Suffering for living out your faith and suffering that might come from that should not surprise us. And second, suffering does not excuse Christians from continuing to live righteously as an expression of abiding trust in God in spite of the circumstances. So even if someone is suffering, and and we're going to get into what Peter means by that specifically in this section. What he's saying is is if you're suffering for the reasons he's going to identify, um, That does not excuse you from living the way that God has invited you to. And so again, those two things. Peter's telling his readers, you shouldn't be surprised if following Jesus leads you to a point where you're gonna encounter some kind of suffering. And what he means there is that if you're following Jesus in the world, there's gonna be a point where you're gonna find yourself in opposition with the world and the world's systems and values. And This is what was really happening for Peter's original readers of his letter right there were instances where the lives they were living as uh, Jesus followers were being noticed by the people around them as being not only different than the culture and the systems and values of that time but counter to the culture and systems and values of that time and Peter points out these things that they're dealing with in uh, verses three through five for the Time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued of cor- a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge living and the dead and so there's that that list right it's it's indecent behavior lust drunkenness carousing drinking parties and these uh, idolatries and and I don't want to go through and spend a a lot of time on each one of those but what I do want to notice is that they are all sort of acts of abandoning moral constraint there's a lack of self-control that's a thread that runs through that list And there's a way that Peter says you are supposed to deal with that. Right? There's a way that instead of, of, of pursuing those things and instead of escalating, because what's happening is that people are noticing this and they're, it says they're astonished, they're amazed, they're surprised that, that the Christians aren't running with them, this, this idea of just sort of going along with them and not caring about anything else. And when they see that the Christians aren't joining them, aren't running with them, it says they malign them. They slander them, right? So this isn't just like a, a passing insult. Nah, I don't get you. You seem weird, right? Or even something more intense. What it is, is it's, it's, it's verbal abuse with the intent to, to harm, right? And, and to, I'm going to ruin your reputation in the community. I'm going to slander. I'm going to not just to one-on-one, but everyone's going to know What I think about you. And it's in this, in the face of that, that they're called by Peter to have the same purpose as Christ. So they don't arm themselves with weapons or things that are going to help them exact revenge or escalate. They instead are called to arm themselves with this same purpose of Christ a strength to endure. It reflects back on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, he brings some friends with him to pray right before he's going to be executed. And he goes into the garden to pray, and he asks, he cries out, Abba, this word of intimacy, Papa, Dad, if this can go some other way, let's do that. But if not, then not my will but yours. That's what we're supposed to arm ourselves with when we're slandered in this way. The other thing that is happening here is that the people around them, sorry, I'm just gonna repeat myself there, I'm gonna shift. Because um, uh, I wanna pause for a second um, and, and, and note that Again, Peter's speaking into a really specific time to a specific group of people, right? Um, This is a time when Christian values and the resulting life of of living those out is really different than the Greco-Roman society. Um, And in that setting, someone, it would be very difficult to live the life of, of a Christian and not be noticed. Right? and in, in some bad ways, as we read. But modern Western society, what we live in, has for many centuries been largely shaped by the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so even though we may at times experience conflict, we may at times feel like oh, the, the systems are working against Christian values. For the most part, since uh, Roman Emperor Constantine, who made Christianity the official state religion, Um, Christianity has been seen as far more acceptable than what uh, these uh, Christians that Peter's writing to are experiencing. And so, as part of Western Christianity, we may not be able to relate as clearly um, or as significantly uh, with this as we may think. But I do want to say two things about that. First... Uh, maybe not with us, but from the beginning of the church until today, there has been aggressive persecution uh, against the church in different parts of the world. Um, and there are Christ followers who live daily with a threat against their lives, um, against their families' lives. Um, and so it's not that persecution to that level doesn't exist. Um, and so for that group, when they read this letter, they, they read it very differently than we do. Many of them write about this letter as being this pastoral encouragement from the heart of an apostle who reaches out to them to help them remember who they are and understand their calling as followers of Christ. And it's a huge blessing. But the second thing is that the suffering that Peter is talking about here is a very specific type of suffering. It's it's the suffering that's caused specifically by being a Christian and living out your faith. Now, many people around the world, many people in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in this building connected online, are suffering for other reasons. And I want it to be very clear that God hears you, God knows you, And God is with you in that suffering. But Peter here is not addressing that suffering and is also not diminishing that or saying uh, if you're experiencing, and so so I wanna make sure we don't confuse it, that if if you're experiencing physical abuse in a relationship, this is in no way saying you just have to be a good Christian and take it. If you're experiencing racism, that you just need to pray and not do anything about it. This is when a person as a follower of Jesus is persecuted specifically for living out their faith. And sometimes those lines get blurred and it's very difficult. But I want to make sure that we have that in mind so that we differentiate because it's very dangerous to start saying things like, like Peter's gonna say about how we respond to suffering when it's not the suffering that he's talking about. So I just want to make sure we have that in, in, our, in our minds. Because one of the goals that Peter's trying to to get to is he's trying to help his audience veer away from the temptation to retaliate, to retaliate in a like manner, to to take up the behavior of the people that that, that are uh, slandering them, to, to, to start to say, yeah, you know what? Okay, I don't like how you're treating me. Well, I'm gonna do the same thing to you, right? I'm gonna... Get revenge. I'm going to make this even. Or I'm going to escalate it and I'm going to put you way down. And we see this in, um, in verse 5 because he says when, he, when uh, people are slandering you, those people will have to give an account to the one who is ready to judge. And that's saying that it's not our role to enact judgment. We can announce judgment. We can talk about judgment. But it is not our role to enact judgment. That's reserved for God. And that those who are slandering these original readers, Peter's saying they're going to have to give an account before God. But it's also Peter's counter to the lack of self-control that was being expressed in all those activities that he listed earlier. The culture around you is showing a lack of self-control and slandering you. Now you can show self-control in how you respond to that. You do not get to cut loose on people. And if you do, you cut loose in being self-controlled. You cut loose in having that same purpose as Christ. So Peter then, is, he does this big transition. He's talked about suffering and, and, and the specific situation they're in. And then he's drawn to this space where he says, the end of all things is near. never. In all of scripture, have I read something that makes me feel more like I'm reading the Lord of the Rings than this? I'm glad to have, I'm glad to be with you, Samwise Gamgee, here at the end of all things. And every time I read this, the end of all things is near, right? I I have this line in my my head. But they're in a spot where they are suffering because of the quest they've been on. And uh, and so there is some, some tie to it. But... Um, But Peter's going to start this, this is the the beginning of this final section. Um, And it's really important for us to know what uh, he means by the end of all things. Because um, it can cause us to go in different ways depending on what we do with this. Right? For some people it can be, uh, well, the end of all things is near, so what does it matter? I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, For some people it, it pushes us to sort of a militant kind of behavior, right? So, so what does Peter mean? What Peter is saying really in a nutshell is because um, this temporal event happened where Jesus was born, lived uh, a human life, fully human, died a fully human death, and was resurrected, this moment has facilitated the inauguration, the divine inauguration of what I'm gonna call the final stage of God's redemptive plan. Right, that, that, that Peter's readers and we live in this final stage of God's redemptive plan. Right? And really, the, it's going to end with Jesus coming back, which we read about later on. Um, and that's going to wrap things up uh, in, in, a, in, in a manner of speaking. But it's this reality of being in this last phase that Peter's going to say is, is sort of the foundation of the context, the environment For these four things that I really need you to be about, right, these four kind of practical things to do in order for the church to flourish in this hostile setting, how does the church be an alternate society, so to speak, to the world, the kingdom of God, which anyone can find refuge in from the systems of the world that are bent against God. So Peter has four things that he talks to his readers about, starting in verse 7. He he talks about being of sound judgment and sober spirit, or the NIV also phrases it, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Peter's saying in order for you to pray, you need to have a clear understanding of what's going on. You need to be self-controlled in how you engage with the realities of the world. Instead of, if we come into prayer, in the sense of turmoil and confusion. It's not that that can't happen or it's not that one is better than the other. But Peter's saying there's a difference. There's a difference in the prayer that I make when, when, when there's a feeling of desperation or confusion and turmoil than the prayers that I have when I'm clear minded, when I've uh, exhibited self control. And, and I want to be really clear. Uh, about this, because this talk about clear-minded, uh, the church has had a really bad history with mental health and issues of mental health. Um, and there will be moments when, when you can kind of pull off this thing of I, I just kind of steal myself and muster my will, and all of a sudden, I can have a clear mind and I can think differently. But there are also plenty of times where, due to all kinds of different circumstances, where we're going to need other people. Or we're going to need other things to help us get to that space. Counselors, therapy, medication. These are all biblical ways to address those needs. And I want to make sure that we, that we know, and I think we all need to know, that what I really think we need is a combination. Every single one of us is a combination of all those things. Um, and I think it's good that I think in the past uh, maybe decade, the church has begun to make turns in seeing that um, it's not just a matter of us sort of getting it together, willing, or, or only uh, asking God for a miraculous healing of some kind, um, of a very specific kind when we're asking that, but that God heals through uh, some, some different means also. Um, so I want us to, again, be aware um, that that uh, is true. Uh, but the point is there are different ways that we can enter prayer, right? We can enter, again, desperately, but that's not, it's not necessarily bad because um, things happen suddenly or when we get overwhelmed and we're just praying because we need something to change and we need it to change now. But Peter is saying uh, that there's such a state uh, that we can be in uh, that, that the best way I could describe it is fuzzy thinking or... Uh, in, in, in my martial arts class, I'll often refer to it as monkey mind, right? That, that in my brain, it's like, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of that. That's happening, this is happening. I'm grabbing onto that, I'm swinging to this. My tail's on that, right? And it's just all over the place. But the way this is phrased is this, it's, it's, it's uh, it, it, the preposition in there indicates purpose. And so right thinking and clear-mindedness will result in prayer. And I think Peter's concern here is that when we don't have an accurate assessment of what's really happening, when, when we're not thinking clear, when we're not able to uh, execute self-control, that we're gonna abandon prayer. And we're gonna get to that spot where we say, well, God's gonna do whatever God's gonna do, I'm gonna do whatever I'm gonna do, and just let it roll. And Peter's saying, no, no, there's, this awareness of being in the final stage of God's redemptive movement that, that can motivate our prayer. And I want to give you an example. Um, the other night, my oldest daughter, Gianna, and I, uh, we got into it. Um, and you don't need the details, uh, but um, we got into it. And, and, and after we got into it, it was sitting poorly with me. I didn't feel good about it. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm stewing. Uh, and and I'm kind of thinking like, yeah. And and she said this, and, and 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 I need to teach her this and that, and um, and so I go and talk to her, and it gets worse. Um, and so then I'm I'm sitting downstairs in this chair, and I'm just like stewing is just the right is the right word. I'm like cooking in my own like anger and frustration, and oh, I gotta. When we talk, it's going to be about this, and da 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 and, and it's. but I'm also kind of waiting, like, is, is it maybe she's going to come and talk to me? I don't know. I, I tried to leave that door open, but just leaving the door open doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to come in if you've created a space that's not very welcoming. Uh, but so, and I, and I go to bed like that, right? I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm angry. I'm stewing. I keep reworking these arguments and, and convincing and all this stuff, right? And really, what it ended up being about is I'm, 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 I knew I was right. I believed I, I was right, um, and so I went to bed thinking, okay, when Gian and I talk, we need to get to these issues. And, and I woke up thinking about those things, right? But I, I needed to go do some things that morning. I had to go run a couple of errands. And I was listening uh, to the stereo. I had my, my phone playing some music. Um, and, uh, and this song came on that's called Beyond These Shores by a band called Iona. Uh, and it was also interesting to me that earlier that week I had received in an email, the, the lead singer from that group had sent out a video to, to people who subscribed to their email list of this really acoustic uh, kind of stripped down version of this song. Uh, and it 's about saint brendan 's voyage their, their, their whole album that that song is on is about the voyages of saint Brendan if you don 't know who saint brendan he 's an Irish Christian who legend says made this great sea voyage, and, and some people say even got to the Americas um, in this voyage and, and you know and most likely hit a couple of islands in the area but but really, it seems like it 's more of an allegorical story about becoming a Christian and all that means, but it 's a fascinating story and it 's a really Uh, Boy, it's it's a good read. But the lyrics of the song say this. Beyond these shores into the darkness. Beyond these shores this boat may sail. And if this is the way, then there will be a path across this sea. And if I sail beyond the farthest ocean or lose myself in the depths below, wherever I may go, your love surrounds me. For you have been before beyond these shores. And I realized that every day in this relationship with my daughter Gianna, we are going beyond these shores into uncharted territory because the two of us have never been in this moment before. And if in this line, and the song was with me, if this is the way There will be a path across the sea. And then also at the end, because Jesus has been before beyond these shores. And all of a sudden, I found myself thinking, oh, you know what? I remember who Gianna is. She's not really trying to undermine everything that is good in the world. She's not really trying to usurp and give some kind of corporate takeover. In fact, she's not doing anything that would facilitate the anger I was feeling. And so I started looking for the path across this sea. And she had mentioned a few days before um, that she wanted some orange juice. Uh, And so I stopped at the store and got some orange juice and I wrote a message on the outside of the bottle that's an inside joke for her and I uh, that just says, uh, it says, bagels are for sales associates only. Um, which is our way of saying, like, this belongs to a specific person. No one else is supposed to touch this. Um, And um, she got it, and she laughed. She didn't come up to me and say, oh, thanks, Dad. Um, But there was a path there because my mind got cleared. I was able to see Gianna for who she really is. I was able to see myself for who I really am. And then I was able to enter into prayer where I was looking for a path to connect instead of a a path to like put down, a path to control, more of a path for us to walk on together. A few weeks ago, or last week, I talked about uh, St. Sarah. Good golly timing, okay. Uh, St. Sarah, and she was dealing with Uh, a a sin that was so prevalent, a temptation to a sin that was so strong that she said daily it was a physical fight. But what she said was, um, don't make this go away. Give me the strength to deal with it. Right? And so there's this way when we have a different perspective that sometimes we can see something differently and pray differently. Okay, the second exhortation is to fervently love one another. Right And and Peter says we got to do this above all other things. We've got to do this above all else because it covers a multitude of sins. Again, this doesn't mean it hides sins, it covers up sins, it excuses sins. It means it allows the relationship to continue in spite of that. It doesn't mean there aren't new boundaries or new dynamics. Sometimes you put those in place so that love can happen. It means there's still a path though. The phrase ties back to to Proverbs 10, 12, which says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So it's probably getting back to that same kind of thing that that, that there's hatred that's stirring up strife, that's stirring up dissension, right? And and I want to go back to a moment when Brian was leading us. It was the Sunday after January 6th where the, the insurrection at the Capitol happened. And Brian called us and invited and challenged us to remember some of the people there that were participating in this event were part of the Christian family. And that we needed to both own that and speak to that. It would have been so easy to just try to ignore that or push that away. And in doing so, ignore those people. You're not even part of our family. But Brian invited us to a space to love, to call out, to name, to pray. It has nothing to do with hiding sin or not dealing with sin. It's asking the question, can the community still exist? Is there still a path to make this work? The third thing is be hospitable without complaint. And um, we've talked before about how important hospitality was in the ancient world, and, and it often is used in, in entertaining strangers and, and traveling people and, and things like that, and, and that's definitely part of this. But I do think that Peter, the way he phrased it is so often be hospitable to one another, right? That, that phrase one another to each other comes up in this passage a lot. And so I think that this is talking about be hospitable to anyone around you who has a need doesn't have to be a traveling stranger because there's so many people within our own communities that feel like strangers right now, that have needs. Many have been isolated and are feeling the burden of that, and there's an invitation here to be hospitable to anyone who's in need. And the last one is to give whatever gift we've been given from God, remembering God in the process. Um, a couple of passages to look up about this would be Romans 12, three through eight, or Colossians 3, 17. Um, that one I'll read real quick. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And the, the Romans 12 passage talks about if your gift is prophesy, then, then prophesy. right. If your gift is teaching, then teach like move and act in these things. But it's this space of Peter saying, I'm calling you in all areas of your life, whatever gift you've been given, whatever area you flourish in, go and do it and serve God and serve others as you do it. The invitation in all of this by Peter is if you're suffering because of your faith and living that out, then don't be ashamed. Take heart that you're following Christ and have chosen the right thing. It's not easy and it can't fully be addressed in a Sunday morning sermon, but your actions and how you don't retaliate, you don't seek revenge, speak to the world of God's kingdom. And then in these last stages of God's redemptive plan, we can help those who are suffering if we're not. But we also have to to realize that Peter's inviting us to pray out of a position of a clear mind above all else love fervently and to be hospitable to all and to give what we received mindful of god who generously gives mindful of jesus who gave his life and mindful of the holy spirit who's the gift from god that enables us to give and participate in god's work of redeeming all things i want to wrap up i want to ask the worship team to come up sorry i'm running so long um There's a ton more in here. Please go back and read the whole thing. Uh, I want to let you know the prayer team is here for you. Uh, If you have anything at all that you need to pray about, please don't miss an opportunity to do so. If you're suffering in any way, please come and be prayed for. uh, we're here to, to join with you in, in praying about those things. Um, I have a couple of questions, uh, then there'll be time of reflection and, and the worship team uh, will then close us in a song and a benediction. The questions for this morning, uh, Peter spent uh, some time reminding his readers who they were in Christ. Do you feel like you have a sense of who you are and who you are in Christ? Right, take a moment, think about that. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? And how does that impact how you think about and live in this world? Secondly, how do you feel like you're doing in terms of being clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray? Are those two even connected for you? How are you doing in terms of loving fervently, being hospitable, and giving the gifts of grace you have received? This is not any way a thing to be like, oh, you're not doing it. So it's really just a moment to think because really what I find is we, we move kind of in and out of these and sometimes we're more focused on this and sometimes that. And to focus on this means we can't do that, right? So it's not a like a checklist. It's just a, you know, how do you feel like you're doing in those areas? Um, and then thirdly, if there are hindrances to you doing these things, what are they? And again, it could be, well, I've been really focused on this, so I can't do that. But it could be, ah, uh, there's this thing over here I didn't even think about. So in terms of... Self-control to pray, loving fervently, being hospitable, and giving the gifts of grace you have received, but above all else, loving fervently. Okay, let's pray. God, thanks, uh, thanks for people's patience this morning, Lord, just to, yeah, endure, <laughs> endure with me. Um, God, I pray that we would, above all else, love fervently, we would understand that this idea of, of being hospitable and, and giving of the gifts you have given us really extends to every single thing that is happening. To every person around us, to, to every living thing, to, to, to stewarding creation, to, to our role in the cosmos, God. You've invited us to participate and to flourish. I pray for those who are suffering, both for the reasons of living out their faith and for other reasons, that they would know not only that you are with them, but they would know help, that help would come um, and, and, um, yeah, and reveal your heart uh, and love. Yeah. Lord, I, I pray all this in your name. Amen.